This event was recorded live at the 2014 Edinburgh International Book Festival. Thank you very much. Good evening and welcome to the Edinburgh Book Festival. My name is David Robinson, I'm the books editor of The Scotsman and it's my very great pleasure to introduce David Peace and I'll do that by quoting the words of Edinburgh-based critic and novelist Doug Johnston. Every time I finish a David Peace novel, he wrote, I feel like I've gone a few rounds with the title contender. I can't think of another British novelist who writes with as much conviction, dedication and sheer bloody-mindedness as Peace, whether it's the Red Riding Quartet, his Miner's Strike trilogy, uh, GB84, his Japan set fiction, or his best-known work, The Damned United. And, see, Doug is working himself up, you see, to talk about this book, Red or Dead, uh, David's latest novel, which is about Bill Shankly, so he carries on. All of Peace's writing is uncompromising, but Red or Dead takes that to near-pathological levels. The result is an extraordinary piece of writing. Now, he's right about that, and it's the writing that will be talking about today. 30 years after the miners' strike, we'll be talking about GB84, G, uh, David's epic novel about that. And there's another anniversary that I want you to think about too. 3rd of August, 1974, David is seven. His dad takes him to see Leeds United play at Huddersfield Town in a pre-season friendly. It's the first football match that he can remember going to. Leeds are managed by the great Brian Clough, the subject of the Dan United. Now, one week after that, you see, and that's, uh, this happens, you've got, that's the cover of the Dam United, and you've got a clough leading out the Leeds players for the FA Charity Shield match on the 10th of August, 1974. Not exactly 40 years, but near as we can manage. And their opponents, well, that's Liverpool, being led on for the last time ever at Wembley by Bill Shankly, which makes this, I think, one of the best covers that I've ever seen. <laughs> Because if you read David's novels about these two charismatic managers, then this picture acquires another two dimensions. Because these novels take you into the minds and hearts of both of them, as only, I would argue, a great novelist can. Now, I know that Yorkshiremen get very embarrassed about praise, so I'll stop right there. And ladies and gentlemen, please welcome David Peace. Thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you very, very much for that introduction. And it's, it's lovely to be back. It's only a year since I was here. It's lovely to be back. And thank you very, very much to you all for coming. Thank you. Um, I'm just going to read a, 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 li a little bit from, from Red or Dead. Um, this is um, towards the end of Bill Shankly's life. And this is a chapter called We Must Get Back to Sanity. Despite the times, despite the world, the summer had still come again, another season come again. But Bill had not taken the train again, the train to Euston Station, London. Bill had not taken a cab again, the cab to Wembley Stadium. And Sir Bill had not gone down the corridors again, the Wembley corridors again. Bill had not stood before the dressing room door again, the Liverpool dressing room door again. And Bill had not taken his seats in the stands at Wembley Stadium. Bill had stayed at home, in his Liverpool home, in his front room, in his armchair. Bill listened to the 1979 FA Charity Shield match between Liverpool Football Club and Arsenal Football Club on the radio. 
in his armchair in his front room, in his home, his Liverpool home, on his own, all on his own. Bill listened to Terry McDermott score for Liverpool Football Club. Bill listened to Kenny Dalglish score for Liverpool Football Club. And Bill listened to Terry McDermott score again for Liverpool Football Club. And then Bill heard Alan Sunderland score for Arsenal Football Club. And Bill got up from, a, from an armchair in his front room. Bill got to his feet. Bill walked over to the radio. Bill switched off the radio and Bill heard the telephone ringing in the hall. Bill picked up the telephone and Bill listened as a journalist introduced himself to Bill and apologised for bothering him, bothering and disturbing Bill. And then the journalist asked Bill for his thoughts, his thoughts on the match he had just listened to, his thoughts on the season to come. And in the hall, on the telephone, Bill breathed out and Bill said, well, we must get a wee bit of sanity back. That is the first thing, the most important thing of all, because there is madness. Madness in the world, madness in the game, madness in some of these fees that are being paid. It seems that suddenly everything has got out of hand, money-wise, transfer-wise, and the players themselves, they haven't helped. I mean, I was all in favour of a freedom of contract. Don't misunderstand me, don't get me wrong. The clubs had things too much their own way, but now that freedom is being abused. They want freedom for themselves alone. I mean, everyone is out for themselves, every man out for himself. I mean, I bought players like Kevin Keegan, Ray Clements and Larry Lloyd for the kind of money that today players are getting for their slice of a fee, their signing on fee, their own bloody fee. Now that to me is madness. That can't be right. It must be wrong. And some managers, they don't seem to mind what they pay. But the working man, he should be sick about it. He pays his money too, more and more, and it is his money, his money they are throwing about. But in the end, I think the whole business will find its own level. It has to come to its senses, and maybe it will happen this season. This is what I would like to see. The first thing, the most important thing of all, a wee bit of sanity coming back into the game, into the world. Talking of this season, Bill, this season to come, asked the journalist, who do you think will win the league, Bill? In the hallway on the telephone, Bill smiled and Bill said, don't look further than Liverpool. Back the class horse. I mean, you'll only lose your money back in the Triers, your Aston Villa, your West Bromwich. I mean, it's a one-horse race. Not like in my day, not these days. I mean, in my day, in those days, you'd look at the Manchester teams, you'd look at Everton, you'd look at Derby, and you'd say, we've got something on our hands here. And above all, you'd look at Leeds about this time of year, just before the season started, and you'd think about the likes of Hunter, Bremner, Giles and Lorimer, and you'd think about the manager, that fellow who's in the desert now, and you'd, and you'd think... <laughs> What's he up to? What's he planning for us? And you think about the confrontations, the confrontations to come, how they would go, what would happen. But not anymore, not these days. There's no point. Not anymore, not now. Now there's only Forest. They're a very talented side, a very well-managed side. And perhaps Ipswich, Ipswich Town, again, they're a good side, a well-managed side. And I think they possibly should have won more things than they have, more than just the Cup. They should have won the league by now, the most important thing. But that's all there is now these days, just Forest and Ipswich. And I mean, that's the reason I did not go down for the match today, for the Charity Shield today, because I could have gone. Oh, yes, I could have gone. But there's no point going all that way to find out something you already know now, is there? No bloody point at all. Not if you already know. No point. But you still listen to the match on the radio, said the journalist. So who would you say was Liverpool's best player today, Bill? Bill breathed in. Bill tightened his grip on the telephone and Bill said, Liverpool. Liverpool was the best player and Liverpool Football Club is always the best player because Liverpool does not have individual players like other teams. I mean, look at the Arsenal. Take the Arsenal today, for example. They're a good side, a capable side, but they depend on Liam Brady. They depend on one single man, one individual player. Liverpool Football Club depend on no single man, no individual player. Liverpool Football Club depend on every man. Liverpool Football Club depend on each other. And when you have people doing that properly, when they have the right men, well-trained, well-prepared, then they cannot be beaten. And so Arsenal couldn't beat them, not if they played them for the next ten bloody years. Because Liverpool depend on each other. It's collective. 
everyone working for each other. It's a kind of socialism, pure socialism. Everyone doing what they can for the rest. And Bill put down the telephone. In the hall, Bill heard a clock ticking in the house, ticking, and Bill felt old, 2,000 years old, the clock ticking, so very old, so tired, ticking, so very tired and so strained, the clock ticking, so very strained, his heart strained, ticking and whispering. It was a different time, a different world, a world with no place for some men, some men left behind in a different time, a different world, men like him, men like Bill, his heart strained, his heart breaking, left behind with no place in a different world, a different time, the clock always already ticking in the house, in the hall, ticking, and now a ball bouncing on the ground in the drive, feet walking up the drive, hands knocking on the door, little feet and little hands, and Bill opened the door and Bill said, ''Hello, boys, how are you, lads? Did you listen to the match, then?'' Yeah, Bill, yeah, said the boys. The boys with their red cheeks, their red shirts, their red ball in their little hands. It was great, Bill. It was magic, and now we're going to play it, Bill. So will you come out to play? Will you come out and be the referee for us, Bill? Bill looked at the boys on his doorstep in his driveway with their red cheeks, their red shirts, and their red ball, and Bill frowned, and Bill said, I go on, then. I'll come out to play, but I'll not be the referee, no way. If I'm coming out to play, then I want to play. But then who will you be, said the boys. If you come out to play, then who will you be, Bill? Which player will you be? Bill laughed, his heart beating, beating and healed again. And Bill said, Liverpool, of course. I'll be Liverpool, boys. What do you mean? Asked the boys with their red cheeks and their red shirts, their wide eyes and their open mouths. What do you mean? You can't be everyone, Bill. You've got to pick up one player. You've got to be someone, Bill. You can't be every man, now can you? Bill shook his head and Bill smiled again. And Bill said, that's the thing, boys. That's just the thing. When you play for Liverpool, you play as every man, boys. Because when you play for Liverpool Football Club, you play for every man. You're not someone. You're everyone, boys. Every man. That's the thing that is different about Liverpool Football Club, boys. Different from every other football club in the land, in the world, boys. When you play for Liverpool, you play for everyone. You play for every man, boys. So you are every man. And then you are every player, boys. That's you, every man. And so I'm going to be Liverpool, boys. I'm going to be Liverpool. Now, what about you, boys? Who are you all going to be? Liverpool shouted the boys, all the boys with their red cheeks, all the boys with their red shirts and the red ball, the red ball up in the air now. We're going to be Liverpool too, Bill. Liverpool. Thank you. Even just in that passage, you got a sense of, uh, of his consistency because he's saying to the, uh, to the reporter on the phone exactly the same thing as he's saying to the boys, that it's, that it's a team game. Uh, and there's no stars. It's, it's almost like Joachim Lowe winning the World Cup. Is he's got a team of good players. Yeah. That's the team that works. It's yeah. kind of socialism in action, in a sense. Yeah. Now, uh, I've, I've read you uh, interviews where you said, like, um, oh, you've described Shankly as a revolutionary and a saint. Now, did you know that going in before you wrote the book? Um, to, to, to some degree, but not that degree. I mean, the I. You know, I, I mean, my grandfather, my father and I used to support Huddersfield Town and, and Bill Shankly left uh, Huddersfield in 1959 to go to Liverpool. And so every Huddersfield Town supporter, you know, believes... It could have been us. It could have been us. Yeah. And it's like, you know, in a way it's a wish fulfilment novel. Yeah. It's a fantasy novel. Um, and so, you, grew, and I, you know, I grew up with, with that, you know, with, with hearing the stories about, about Bill Shankly, not, you know... Not that he'd been actually, and people will say it's not that he'd been a particularly great manager for Huddersfield at that time. And there was no great, when he left, there was no great gnashing of teeth. It wasn't, but, uh, but there was, but, you know, from like the father and other people, there was this, you know, image of him as, to me, as, as this great legendary football manager and this socialist. But my footballing memories only really begin 
in 74. I do remember very vividly watching Liverpool beat Newcastle in the FA Cup final. And, but I, actually, that summer, while I remember um, Brian Clough coming to Leeds and, and, and that, but I don't actually even remember Shankly resigning. And I think if you did, you know, if in retirement, Bill Shankly in Merseyside was still a great presence in many ways because he was, he was working for Radio City, he was doing the interviews that come across in the book, he was commentating for matches, and he was often in the papers with, 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 with various interviews. But I think, um, you know, you, and it, it was, I had a very limited knowledge of, of actually what Shankly had achieved at Liverpool. Um, so it was really only when I started to do the book, and the book initially was only going to deal with the resignation and the retirement. That was that's how I came in, was the idea of writing the book in the first place. But as I thought, in order to in order to know the retirement, I needed to know the work, and so I, I just went down one day to the to the, the National Research Library in Tokyo and began to go through every game that that, that Shankly had managed. And I just was, you know, I astound, astound. I don't think if I had been a Liverpool supporter, because obviously this is known in Merseyside, but if I had known exactly the state that Liverpool were in in 59 and this incredible journey, which, which you know, Shankly wasn't, and it was never for Shankly about him. It was this collective journey, but he was the catalyst, I believe, for this collective journey. Um, but I just realised quite quite very, very early on, but you couldn't really write about the retirement of a man if you didn't write about the work of a man. And, and it was that that then, you know, learning that story and through, the, through, the, through reading the games and then all the material that had been written about him, and I was very lucky and privileged to meet people who'd known him and worked with him, but it really did become very, very clear to me that he was a revolutionary and a saint. You say that, um, you know, I then realised I got to go back and um, and look at his work, look at what he had achieved, yeah. and I would argue that you know this uh, the book achieves its own force by by actually a lot of repetition because you know there is a certain amount of a, you know repetition every game. Now, what uh, what made you think? You know, if did you not think if I go back and do every game that Shankly managed since 1959 to 1974, I'm going to alienate a lot of readers. The readers won't follow me. I mean, you know, this is a new type of book in that regard. What well, gave that, you the well, confidence was, to do it? Well, that was why I didn't include the League Cup games. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously. Because I wrote them, but I took them out. So I, uh, you know, so I, uh, no, so seriously, I, um, I. You know, I, I, you know, first, I mean, first, it's not that I don't think about the reader, but it's just I can't imagine who the reader would be, um, because you never know who's going to read the book, you know, or if anyone's going to read the book, and so you can. All I wanted to do was to to really paint a portrait in words of of this man, yeah. And I, you know, and and to me, you know, it was. Impossible to 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 convey the the, the sheer commitment, the, the the sheer struggle, the sacrifice that this achievement took, without really making it a living experience for for me as I was writing it, and then for if, if anyone read it, for the reader to to feel that too. I mean, you 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 can there are very many wonderful biographies of Bill Shankly already available. But I'm writing a novel, and I, you know, you read the biography, and it will say, Bill Shankly trained every day with a team. And then, and that'll be one sentence in, in 400 pages, and you think, well, 
or I thought, well, hang on, Bill Shankway trained every day with a team? What, what, you know, and you start to think what that means. And, and I just really wanted to, to, to convey that. And, and also the very, the very repetitious nature that, that it, that of, of the game itself, the, 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 the routines and the rituals that, that, you know, even when you support a football team or follow football, you, you know that. You know, season, you know, it's game after game, season after season. It's, it's, it's like a religious calendar to your life. Um, Unfortunately, often without the resurrection at the end. But, um, you know, that's how he, that, that, you know, and I wanted to get, and, and again, I had a, one thing is, going back to the portrait, one thing that really, you know, stuck with me was something Bill Shankly said himself when he retired. His, his interviews when he retired are fascinating because it's, it's, it's the man justifying to himself what he's done. And one thing he said early in the retirement was that, you know, fo football was, it was a river. It was relentless. It went on and on and on. And when you were in it, there was no stepping out of it. And I, I copied that out, and I had that above, above the desk as I was writing. And, and I really wanted, you know, to, as well as the repetitions, the routine, the ritual, but also in the first half, to have this sense of football as a river. But it just goes boom. And it just, you know, hopefully it carries, it carries you on. And so I just started to write, you know, I did the research and was then writing and... and you know, and I, I write by I write in longhand, and then I you know read it, I read it out aloud, and then type it up, print it out, read it out, and then just try to get this sense of the rhythm of a, a river, and also uh, to try to to also <coughs> e e encapsulate what a, what a collective experience this was. You know, because the, the most challenging thing to me actually was in the first half of the book was to write about this without reducing it too much to the individual. In the, you know, in the, in, in the retirement, it is the individual, the man on his own. But in the, in the first half, I really wanted this, somehow this collective sense of this going on and on and on and these people coming in and going out, the players, and, and, then, and, and obviously Bob Paisley, Joe Fagan, Reuben Bennett, the people around him, and, the, and, and more than anything, the crowd, the cop. I get that. I do get that. And I can see that it, that it works and it go, does go into you viscerally. This some people. Yeah. It, well, I think that if you, if you read the whole book all the way through, and I do grant that you might be prepared to accept that, that some people might skip read a paragraph yeah. for a match. Yeah. But if you do, then you get something that you never get from a biography. A biography is always going to take you to a certain point. You wins the FA Cup or whatever. You know, mm -hmm. This is the culmination of yeah. everything. But when, the way you do it, and you, you, you say, as you say, it's a, it's a collective journey. Everybody's coming along to the game. There's yeah. thousands. That's why you, yeah. every game you've got the, the, the number of people who yeah. are at the match. Uh, and when you do that, then, of course, he's going to lose away to Derby County and, and to, yeah. you know, to various other teams. Yeah. And you realise that it isn't a progress up and down. And you can see that. But my point is this. Um, when you are doing that, you're doing something that nobody else I know has done. And so... I know, like if I if I wrote uh, that element of repetition in any of my stories or interviews, I'm sure my editor would have something to say. You were clearly was it because of the success of the Dam United that people say, well, David, let's just uh, give him his head. It's, it seems to work. Let's. Uh, do you not have anybody say, God, David, we've got 600 pages. Well, um, I mean, the, the, there is a, it's an, there is an editing process. In, I mean, I edit the book myself, like. You know, but the, I, I, I tend to give what, what are known as very clean manuscripts. But as I say, there was it was a lot longer. There's no models, is all I'm saying. Well, 
Yeah, but I mean, I'm very, very, I'm very, very fortunate with the publisher and the edit. I mean, the people I've worked with, like my my agent, the editor, the people around me, I've worked with them a very, very long time. And and to to, to be honest, the you know the the, the, the repet- I think the in. You know, I don't do the repetition. I would say as well, I don't do do the repetition because it's like sort of my. Yeah. St- yeah. It has to. Be, it was the style of the book, which to me actually seems quite different from other books. Is is suggested by the subject matter. But having said that, there are elements. You know, because I, I do. I am fascinated by repetition in so much as I'm fascinated by the routines and rituals of daily life, and I, I don't. Um, I, well, and I, so I, so I suppose that the, 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 the so the editors know the, the, the way in which I work, but they do make suggestions, and and, and and we do go back and forth, and it's not it's not you know that that, that they just publish what I write at all. But that was them, or were you saying better cut out the ethic, ethic, uh uh, the league cups. League cups. Well, yeah. it was. It, I mean, we cut out other, you know, we, we cut out the substantial bits. I mean, you know, for example. Um, just to give you one example of how the process works, I mean, I, I think, um, you know, the, 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 the first people that ever read my work are always um, my dad, my agent, and my editor. And I think sort of all of us felt at one time that the Wilson interview, which is just the, tra- is the transcript of this, this hour-long interview, was quite long. And we tried to edit it, but it just became, it just actually, in the end, we, we couldn't, it just we, we, it was just something that, despite trying different drafts of it, in the end, you know, it stands as it is because we actually couldn't bear to lose any bits of it. But that's the kind of process. There's a lot of back and forth, and then, you know, there were it, it just, you know, just some bits just work. You know, so yes, yeah, there's some editing. No, okay. some. So two things that um, that I've heard you say uh, once from uh, uh, the platform here last year that I've never heard anybody else say. Uh, last year, you said, "Look, it does have four pages of Shankly washing his car," and I've never heard anybody. You said, "Look, you know, you've got to, uh, got to bear with me on this." Uh, and uh, the other thing that I've, that I've never heard, you know, you're almost like warning people about it. The, but the other thing that I've never heard any any other authors say, and let's go back to the first time that I interviewed you, was just I think it's 2006 for Damn United, and then you said. That you only were intending to write 12 novels. And I've never heard anybody say, I'm going to draw the line there. Now, after um, the Occupied City, somebody rang you and said, How about a book about Bill Shankly? Which, you know, having seen this photo, everybody would have thought, Well, that's an obvious book. But you hadn't planned on writing no. it. So does that affect your plans? Well, right. Well, just to go back, though, to the thing about. Two yeah, questions. Just, yeah. Well, the, the first part was. I mean, you know, you talk about the repetition of the book, but in, from 1959 through to 1981 when Bill Shankly died, he only washes his car in the book once. Uh, that's true. So, four pages, though. Yeah, yeah. so that gives, you, that gives you an idea of some of the editing that was involved. Um, but, um, and, and, and I genuinely, I, I mean, you know, and again, it's not something the publishers thank me for, but I really do suggest that people have a look at it before they buy it, because I, the last thing I would ever want to do is cheat people. I mean, my daughter's always telling me of all the people that are unhappy on Amazon, reading me out of you know. And it break, and it, you know, I don't mind what people write in the papers, but it breaks my heart if someone's paid good money for it and then they don't like it, because that would be the last thing I'd want to do. Yeah. So, but in terms of the 12 books, yeah, I mean... I think um, that that when you when I said that to, when I said that to you, uh, then was after Occupied City. Um, 
you know, and not to be dramatic, but it was a bit of a, it was a bit of a, it was a bit of a grim time. And um, and I mean, I think, I mean, at that time, it was uh, you know, we just had all the all the trouble with um, the trouble with the Dam United, and um, and I and I, you know, I'd, I just and I had these. Basically, the way I, the way I work is that I do have the books quite planned in advance, and 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 it wasn't that I was only going to write. There were just that was the bones that were remaining in the box because I, I, I write them and put the notes in boxes and and so on. And and there were these boxes left, and so there were at that time just three boxes left. But there wasn't a box on Bill Shankly, and so that what what changed. And actually, it was you know, I think in the whole of the time that I've been writing since you know, the donkey's years before, before anything was published, all the stuff that was rejected. The best thing that ever happened to me was this phone call from this film producer, Mike Jeffries, which was out of the blue in 2011. Um, and he called, and, and I was really struggling to, 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 to I, I mean, I was, I'm always writing, but I was struggling to write anything even remotely good. And he, he called me and said, have you ever thought about writing a script about Bill Shankly? And... And I would never n normally break the, 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 the pattern of what I've done. And I, before, just the minute he said that, I straight away just instinctively said yes, even though that actually wasn't true until like one second before. And, uh, but I said I wouldn't, write a, I wouldn't be able to write a script until I'd written a novel, so I'll write a novel about Bill Shankly. There was no discussion about what it would be, and I just said it's going to take me like, like at least two years. And he said, well, then just when you've written a novel, can I see the novel? And it was, and again, it's, I've said this a few times, and it sounds a bit odd or dramatic or pretentious or whatever, but it was as if Bill Shankly had been sat there all along and I'd not noticed him. Because, you know, as I said, I grew up with, this, with people talking about him, and you know, he, he's obviously in the Damned United. Even on the, on the original paperback, if you take the cover off, it is actually that cover. Um, and then I'd, I'd been researching a book, on, a, a, book, a book I still will write, a, 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 in which Harold Wilson features a lot in the book. And so I was already aware of a friendship with Bill Shankly. And so it was just that conversation. But, it could, you know, books come to you through different ways. It could, have been, it could have been something my dad had said or it could have been something someone said in a pub or something. Those are the, but the, it was just this phone call that had come from, from Mike Jeffries, the producer. And that's how it happened. And then I, I'd already, you know, just because I've got these boxes lined up, I, it doesn't mean necessarily they would actually be a book, and, and, and particularly one of the books I don't think I will ever write now. But, but the one thing that, that, you know, not only was this the most, you know, fantastic experience for me in terms of researching and, 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 and learning about Bill Shankly, um, and actually took me, you know, to be very dramatic, it took me out of a, of a bad place and, and, and got me writing again and, 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 and in and in a much more positive way. Um, the one thing I learned was that um, from, from writing this book was um, you shouldn't retire. Good. Yeah. So that means that there's an end to well, the rule of 12. Well, I don't, know if, I don't know how many there would be, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't set a limit on it. Good. Good. Well, you say because, that. Uh, I do say it because uh, one of the books uh, that I, uh, one of the many I can't wait to read, obviously the next the trilogy, the Japanese trilogy, number three on that is next. Oh, you're working on that now. But... Um, a book about Jeffrey Boycott. I mean, I can't wait. Well, to see well, that, it. that might be the one that doesn't get written. Oh no! <laughs> Look, uh, we should mention another anniversary. Then the other mentioned thirty years, thirty years since the miners' strike, um, yeah. and um, I was at a fascinating event uh, this morning. Um, Seamus Milne, 
talked about the uh, the um, what's it called the book the uh, enemy within the enemy within yes. Now when uh, when we look back on the miners' strike, there's two ways of looking at it. There's uh, the straightforward social realism. This is the impact of the strike on working class family of strikers. Uh, what it was like, but you take, you do take that. But it's a it's a twin track because you're looking at the other side to the strike, which is the sort of the hidden side of things. Now, I must admit that I really, I got no idea about the full extent of that. Uh, Seamus Milne said that it, this morning that uh, in today's prices, breaking the miners' strike cost the Tory government thir- the equivalent of £37 billion. Pounds. It's, the, it's uh, the biggest state you know, spying operation on a 1,000 people that there's ever been, even in, a, even in wartime. So I've got no idea of this. And I was mm. going to, had I not uh, gone along to that event, I want to read that book, I was probably going to say, wasn't the miners' strike dramatic enough without adding the other layer to it? What, uh, you mean in terms of the novel? In terms of the biggest industrial um, struggle that there's ever been on this island. And yet, it's something that's now, 30 years on, we seem to all have forgotten about. Well, yeah, I mean, the book came out 10 years ago on the 20th anniversary. 20, yeah. when, and when the book came out, I mean, the book was really finished. It could have been published. It, it, was, it, it, was, it was published um, in, in March 2004 deliberately by Faber to time into the anniversary. And I was always very reticent about this because the, the book had been ready for about six months before and we could have published it earlier. And I was a bit reticent because I thought it would get lost in... in, in I thought there'd be many books came out about... Um, the, the you know the the, the, the strike and, and and so forth, but actually in the end, they, they, you know, there weren't they weren't that many. They weren't well, there weren't any. Which is really, which is really weird. I mean, you've got. Um, well, I don't think it is weird actually. Really, well, you could look on it as a turning point in, in modern British history. That this is a focal well, I think point it was. I think it was the. I think you know, it was we're going the down free market. Yeah, it, well, it, that well, leads up to two thousand and eight. Well, I mean, there's different ways of looking at it. I, 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 it was the. It was the culmination. It was the. In a way, it was the final. It was the final battle. But I mean, the, the turning point. A bit, there was many things. That, I mean, you know, if, even if you go to the eighty-three general election, it was very obvious what was what was what was in store, um, and, and and the planning and the preparation would, would, had been in place. The you know the mock-up pit villages and the training police in mock-up police villages in the south. That that the, the, that that um, that had been in place. The stockpiling of coal. It was it was it was all in place. It's just such a massive thing, you know. That was that's the equivalent. But it was of, it was the, it was the hard, yeah. it was and it remains the hardest. Uh, and I, I don't think it's entirely. And I would never claim it's entirely successful. But it was the it was the uh, it was the hardest thing to to try to write about in a novel, to try to <coughs> encompass. Um, uh, an, an historical event that that, in, that 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 did involve millions of people, whether they were whether they were whether the actual striking miners, their families, the the the, the, the communities, the, the the schools, the shops around them, the the, the, the police, the I mean the trade unions, the police, the government, the, 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 it was millions of people, and so it, how to try to how to try to put that because what what I wanted to do was to use a novel to tell the history of the strike, so. That that if you knew nothing about it, as as you know, I often think of my own children. If you're not going to be able to learn about this, but if you read this novel, that you will get some. Not saying it is the history, but you will get some sense of the history, the chronology of what happened during that year. And I really wanted to show it from 
from the top to the bottom, from the left to the right, with as many different with as many different voices as possible. I do think. I mean, I was, I think, and, and this was a, a, a weakness, and I think it's a weakness of the book. I think I was um, a little concerned that people would say, oh, a novel about the minor strike, that sounds boring. And so I think there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's an element of the no coming a bit from the Red Riding books. There's a kind of noir element that is based on things that actually happened. But I think, you know, that, that I think some, you know, the decapitations and the kind of harikiri suicide stuff, I think, is a bit overdone now, to be honest. Before you read from that, I'd like to know those you, bits. But, uh, does, uh, uh, it struck me uh, that in many ways, you know, your writing career has oddly, it's begun in Japan. Your, uh, your friend William Miller is the agent who yeah. got you the deal, yeah. uh, sadly no longer with yeah. us. But uh, so you become a writer in Japan. Well, yeah, well, I, be, I became a published writer. Published in Japan. writer, yeah. yeah. I mean, I've been but, writing, a, I mean, I, you know, the first book I finished was actually in Manchester. Um, but that's a bottom draw thing, isn't it? That's never going to see the light of day. <laughs> no. Yeah. That was, no, never. That so, was, yeah, yeah. You, and you're, you're writing all the time from Japan now. I just wondered, when you were, you were living briefly over here, said it wasn't a good time. Was that not a good time because you're kind of like too close to the daily, gritty, boring no, reality? Was, of, I, that, that, sorry, I don't mean to... It, it was actually too good a time in many ways. I was just too... I think... Um, the one thing I have in Tokyo is, uh, no friends, no, the one thing I have in Tokyo is I, I, I'm, I'm, more, I'm, I'm less distracted by, you know, you know we don't, we don't have, what I mean. We don't have Sky Sports you, News. You, 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 <laughs> first of all, I suppose there is a different Japanese tradition and different ways of looking at things. Um, but yeah, there also I, is distance from the... You know, the well, I mean, realities. certainly, certainly, writing the Red Riding books and GB84, and even the Damned United and, and, and Red or Dead. I think, I think, what what I can what I can find in Tokyo is, but when I'm when I'm immersed in a particular time and place and the voices of the characters, it, I'm not distracted by the presence, which is a, a here, I, you know, that you know when you know if you're sat like sat on the train coming up here listening to people talking, the language is so different, and it's really. I really, really tried to get back. You know, I was, for example, writing Red or Dead. I had the, I had the, I had the, the, the cassettes of, of, of Shankly speaking, and, and, and so I could really just. It was not. I was not being distracted by the voices of the present, really, and, and not being distracted by. You know, I'm, you know, there were the great things like your family and your friends, and, and all the all the good things about living here, but also. You know, I would get, you know, I'd watch the six o'clock news or the Channel Four news and just be wound up and irate about stuff that was happening on, you know, and not yeah. trying. And, and then that stopped, I think, me having the same kind of passion about the things I was tr trying to write about. Yeah. Could you, could yeah. you give us a little bit? Yeah. So I'm just going to read a bit of um, GB84 because it is the 30th anniversary and. Um, I'm going to read the bit that concerns Orgreave, and if people are interested in, in finding out more about this and haven't read the book, I'm not suggesting you buy the book, I'm suggesting you look at the Orgreave Truth and Justice Campaign's website. I looked around welfare. Lads knew what it was going to say before I even opened the frigging envelope. There were 60 odd of us, every one of them nodding. Big Tom came in. He said, few thousand already up Hansworth End. It's on radio, so off we set. R5. Didn't take us long to find out what was happening. Lads were waiting for us at fence. Thought they were CID because this one bloke had a walkie-talkie. Keith and Sammy were ready to give him a thump. Turned out he was from Doncaster area. He got out his map, got on his walkie-talkie. Idea was we were to occupy frigging plant. Didn't know how, like, but that was plan. 
Being local, we told him the best way was to march ourselves round back of old tip and over top, drop down right into plant. So that's what we did. Bloody look on faces at security guards and coppers that were there, shit themselves. Just this one bloke who fancied his chances said he was going to set his dog on us. We told him to piss off, but he only went and let dog loose, didn't he? Big one and all. Dog came running at us. This one lad, Steve, one of ours, he just stuck up his foot, kicked dog in head. Dog went down. Dog was dead. Fucking killed it. Just like that. But we were in. Inside fucking plant. And for that one sweet bloody moment, we were here and they were there and we were winning. Winning. We had fucking plant. We were holding on tip too. Dust going up. Folk black as pitch. Bobby's head to toe and stuff. Dawn coming up with it. Beautiful one it was too. Right hot one. But that was end of it. No fucking clue what to do next. Doncaster lads went for pump outs, sort wagons that were there, rested and ready to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with boys in fucking blue, but they'd fucked off to get their riot gear back in a bit with big sticks and their kits, bits of wood all we had, like waiting to get kicked and nicked. Big push and a few hundred more and we'd have had them bastards, had them. No messing, shut plant one day, then and only then like, but there was no support, no big push. No sense waiting to be clobbered or collared either, so we walked, headed back up Treaton Lane onto Orgreave Road, First lorries coming off partway and past us as we went. I looked at my watch again. 8.15. Massive roar. Big noise went up. First lorries were in. It had started again. Lads had heard they were using dogs to mop folk up. Stranglers left back in villages. Lads wanted to join main body up Answorth End. It was where our Arthur was. Our leader, our king. Safety in numbers. That's what they wanted. What police wanted too. They marched us south down onto Highfield Lane. Police cordon at Cross Road. They broke to let us through told us to join thousands they'd penned in up at Answorth End at Lane. What a sight that was. Thousands of us. They'd laid on buses from all over. Kent, Notts, Wales, Durham, Newcastle, Scotland. Parked them up in central Sheffield. Then all of them had all walked out to Orgreave. Thousands and thousands of us, like saltly, revisited. Everyone marching out here, traffic at a standstill. Police were a sight themselves, mind. Thousands of them and all. Got their own buses too. Fifteen different forces, they reckoned. Big black sea of them, riot shields up, crash helmets on, right across road and over two old fields. Three double ranks, six to seven yard apart, four deep behind each shield. Took left and right, there were snatch squads. Further right still, they'd got cavalry ready. Took left were dogs. All helicopters above us, reserves stretching back 300 yard. More vans and buses parked up in lanes. They must have been bloody hot, boiling. TV was here too. Fucking couldn't keep away, could they? None of us could. Everywhere you looked, you looked and you knew. Knew there was going to be a lot of bloody hurt today. It was now or never. Everyone knew that, now or never. Lines had been drawn, lion's mouth was open. Now or never. Bloke's side of me said, wish I'd worn my boots. Now, half nine, lorries coming back out, loaded up. Police fucking drivers, Royal Corps of Transport, HGV licences still fucking wet, saluting us as they left, two fingers. Us trapped in right in middle at push. Meat in sandwich we were, bloody truncheon meat. Fucking big push front lads now, T-shirts and skin hard against perspex and leather, jumpers round our waists, faces against their shields, truncheons coming over at top at shields, ribs and shins stuck in rook, ribs and shins, fuck me. Bricks and sticks over at top of us, bricks and sticks, fuck it, it started again all right, fuck me, it had black, blue, bloody, all colours of war. Then police line gave, ground moved, like doomsday, end up fucking world, hooves tasted earth, hooves bit, hooves chewed, hooves ate fucking earth, here they came, here they came, here they came, noise of it all, bones and stones, flesh and bones, there they went, there we went, there we went, smell of it all, earth and sweat. Grass and shit, noise, torn flesh and broken bones, stink, piss and puke, shit, taste as I hit ground, salt, dirt, blood. I tried to stand, I tried to turn, I did stand, I did turn and crack. I saw stars not coming, crack. 
fell me this copper. Ground was hard, sun right warm. Lovely on my face. My father used to take us as a lad to many at fields front roses and civil wars, Wakefield, Ferry Bridge, Towton, Seacroft Moor, Adwilton Moor, Marston Moor. Picnics in them fields, flask at tea and car if weather was against us. Photograph of me somewhere, squinting by Towton Memorial on a Palm Sunday, snow on ground. He was dead now, was my father, ten year back. I was glad he was too, not to see me in this field here, Orgreave, South Yorkshire, England, today, Monday the 18th of June, 1984, sun on my face, blood in my hair, puke down my shirt, piss on my trousers. I was glad he was dead, my dad. I was glad. which I think is where the observer called it, haunting, seminal, bleak, iconic, furid. Uh, now, enough from me. Uh, questions, if we could have the lights up. I'm sure you've got questions to ask David. Yes, we, we've got two right over there, if we could. Just wait and put the microphone up to your mouth. Uh, David, thank you very much for two fantastic uh, football books. Thank you. A great creative imagination and craftsmanship. Thank you. <clears throat> On a much more uh, mundane and... Uh, Modest level. I wrote about 21 years ago eh, about football and about mining and about the strikes and about my, uh, my third cousin, Jenny Lee. Uh, it's a book about Cowdenby's Football Club um, and it's just come out in the new, the new edition. And <laughs> so I just tell you that with, with a, a foreword by Sir Alec Ferguson, I have to say. Now, um, have you ever thought of? writing a novel about an unsuccessful team. The reason I say that is that I wrote this book, it's my hometown, my home team, um, because most of the football books at that time were kind of celebrity books. I mean, Wayne, Wayne Rooney got £5 million advance royalties for writing his memoirs and didn't write a single word about it. But most of the football books were about big clubs, celebrities and all that goes with it. With these small clubs, the amount of dedication there is among die-hard people and their hopes and aspirations and their uh, the debts is a fantastic thing. Yeah. And the whole thing about community and keeping alive the name of a town and a football club. And in Cowdenby's case, it, it rose with the mining industry yeah. and it fell dramatically when the, the mining... So uh, anyway, have you ever thought about writing it from a different uh, perspective? Well, the, the short answer is no, is no, but I think, I mean, I, I you know, I, it's, you know, there are so many, the, the stories you're saying, I mean, there are, there are so many stories that could, could that, that should and, and could be written. I, I mean, I'm, ama I, I'm amazed that there are not more novels about football than, than, than there are, and, and as you say, there are just, they're, they're like, whatever, from the, from, the, from the smallest clubs in the smallest communities to the big clubs, there's, there's, there's just, there's so many stories. In, in the history of, of, of football, and particularly coming from, from the links with the communities and the working class. I was going to make a joke about writing about Huddersfield Town as an unsuccessful <laughs> club, but, it's, but, it's, yeah, but possibly. Yeah. Another question? Uh, yes. Yes. Hi, David. Um, you have done some works in trilogy before, so I'm wondering... Sorry, what did you say? You've done some works which have been trilogies before. Yeah. Uh, I'm wondering if you've considered work on, for example, Alex Ferguson, who seemed to be the last of the iconoclastic, demagogic, demagogic um, working-class managers in the English game. And also, what do you think Bill Shankly would make of the modern Premier League, 
where actually many teams play fantastic, beautiful football, but guys on £250,000 a week take the half of the birthday club if the, the club don't send them a birthday cake. Well, well I... I um... <coughs> I, I, very loosely, GB84, the Damage United, Red or Dead, and then this, 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 this and, another, after I finished the Tokyo trilogy, the fourth book that would make these four books a quartet. But the fourth book, while it will have some football in it, would be more actually closer to GB84. It's, it's loosely based on, on, on Wilson and the resignation and, and, and so forth. But, um, so that is a kind of, that, that's actually a quartet. I, I, I do, I do, no, no, I think, I think, Sir Alex Ferguson is, is a fascinating figure, and I mean it, it is. I think something. I mean, to me, his you know, you know his his roots. The the uh, I mean the, the the story of what he did at Aberdeen is fascinating enough in itself. But then you know what he did at Manchester United and how that how that kind of arcs with like the creation of the Premier League, the huge that kind of if you like year zero in in, in English football, and and also his you know. His roots and then his associations with New Labour. I think it's a very, I think it's very, very rich material. So I don't know, but yeah, that it, it will be tempting. Um, and then the, what we and then what would Bill Shankly think about the about the about the modern game? I well, I you know, I said this before, but I mean, but, but, you know, as long a book as it is, Red or Dead, the one word that never appears in that book is the, is the word agent. Bill Shankly never dealt with agents, and I don't. And I think that would have, you know, that would have been very difficult for him to have dealt with agents. But again, I've, and I've said this before, but there's, but he ne he never fell out of love with the game. And I think you know if he'd have, you know, like you know, last you know, watching players like Jamie Carragher, or Stephen Gerrard, or, or you know, the, the players that they, you know, that, that, that Liverpool have had in, in, in the Premier, in the Premier, you know, in the Premier years, I, I, I think he would have he would have loved every minute of watching those players. But I, but but it, you know, even in that passage I read from 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 1979, he's railing against like that, you know, and in the, in his retirement he's railing and saying, you know, there are, there are players with. And the people in the game who've got swimming pools and cars and they've never won a medal. So I mean, he would. I mean, he would be disgusted by the money and what's happened. And the, and, and particularly this this horrible disconnect between the clubs, the, the big clubs and the big clubs and community. In my opinion, I mean, speaking speaking for him. No more questions. Oh yeah, there's uh, two over here. If we could maybe we want to take them together. Just want to. Hi. Hi. I, I, grew, I grew up in Yorkshire in the 70s and 80s, Liverpool fan, so I absolutely love your books. Thank you very much. But um, one of the, the main thing I took from Red or Dead was the issue of retirement for someone who was so good at their job and was obsessive about their job. And obsession yeah. was clearly what the repetition was all about yeah. and, and achieving excellence through repetition, yeah. which we know is, yeah. you know, can go across all sorts of fields. Yeah. Would you say a little bit more about the issue of retirement for people who are at the top of their field or trying to continue to strive to be as yeah. good as they can be? Yeah, well, I, I mean, the, the, the writing about, I mean, for, for me, actually, I, I, you know, obviously there's, there's, there's a, lo a lot of that second half is, is actually, shankly, the things he said himself about it. And, um, you know, the, the, the last... The last um, the last interview he, he did with, with for Granada TV with Shelley Road and Harold Wilson, the theme of that lunchtime programme was retirement. That's why Wilson and Shankly were on. And that's where the football is a matter of life and death quote comes from, which is then taken out of context. But it's, he's talking about then 
you know, a matter of regret that his, that his family suffered and were neglected because of his obsession during the work. Um, but as much as, I, as much as I was writing about Bill Shankly in retirement, I was writing about my father in retirement. My father, you know, was a, was a teacher all his life. And, you know, still, like, this morning when I left him, he was still, you know, dressed in his, you know, in a tie and a shirt. And he got up, like, as if, you know, as exactly as if he was going to work. And he's done that now, and he's in his late 70s. And also, you mentioned my agent, William Miller, who's passed away. He... He was an. He was. He. He always remained my agent, but he. He. But he handed over the agency to to someone who was younger, and the agency became more, even more successful after he. And there was always that. And that that played into the book in that relationship between Shankly and the club and Bob Paisley, and how when you when something you have created, or, or been very much a part of creating, because he would never take the sole the sole accolade for it. But when you hand that over, I and mean, then it actually grows even bigger. Um, and I thought, you know, that, that was fascinating. So it was very much, it was as much about the retirement of people, the people I'd seen around me. And I think, you know, this is, you know, this is, uh, um, you know, perhaps less so now, sadly. But, you know, for a man like Shankly or a man like my father, the, the, the work defined what they did. I and mean, then you take the work from, a work from that man and, 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 and what, what do you have? I mean, and that's why, I, you know, the... the the second half of the book was, you know, while the first half was a tremendous journey and a joy for me to write that journey, the second half was, was very, very difficult and painful to write. Um, is that on? Yeah. Um, as a Liverpool fan and a long-time admirer of your work, I was delighted when Riddle Dead came out. Thank you. It was a, a wonderful book, uh, as they all are. I'd like to go back to Japan, though. I mean, you talked about how Japan's a very congenial place for you to work, but when you spoke, you used a couple of words came up very frequently, ritual, repetition, routine. Uh, these are obviously stylistic, you know, sort of st- uh, features which are very characteristic of your work, but in a sense they're also quite Japanese characteristics, or at least they seem to be Japanese from the outside. I mean, is Japan not merely convenient for you, but also quite sort of propitious uh, culturally place for you to be? So, I, I mean, if someone else has said that, I, I, wouldn't have, I wouldn't have... You know, you might be right, but it was not something I was... I've not been, you know, not been particularly conscious of. I actually, actually, I actually wonder if a repetition actually started with, because when I first went to Japan for many years, I was teaching English as a foreign language, and that involves a tremendous amount of repetition. <laughs> so, so, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe that was the element of it. But I know what you mean, but I, I, to be honest, I wouldn't, I, I, I don't, I, I haven't analysed it enough to, to, to you know, think, I, and I don't, you know, to be very honest, my... Um, my experience, you know, I, I, um, I, w- I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't have, I, I wouldn't have said, in my opinion, that the, 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 the Japanese culture, as much as I understand it, is any more or less repetitious than the culture. Yeah, they're different, but not, you know, the, these repetitions, these routines and rituals, I think, are in, 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 in every society in the world. I think that's, I just think they're always there, but they're not often written about, I would say. No, I don't think that's true. I think, but um, I don't. I could only. I, I really do think I could have only written them. Certainly, out, I mean, I lived in Istanbul for two years and I didn't write anything there. So, I, but it was moving to Tokyo. But, but I don't know if it was Tokyo, but it was certainly moving and living there that, that allowed me to. That, that I feel allowed me to write and continue to write. Yeah. Thank you. All right, we've just got time for one last question. Yes, there's a gentleman here in the middle, Sander. <coughs> 
Um, it's, it's kind of an extension of the last one. Uh, you mentioned you write longhand, you read it out, you transcribe, you read it out, and so forth. And you, you also mentioned the subject matter led towards the, the repetition. Yeah. Are you con was it a conscious thing, the kind of religious feel of Red or Dead in that respect? Uh, you mentioned you, you saw him as a saint, for example. Yeah. It does sound like a seminary when you're reading, re reading it in your head, if, if, if you know what I mean. So yeah. is, is that a conscious thing? Well, it, again, I, it wasn't. I mean, the only time I would say I've ever consciously done anything really, like, directly on, on a religious level was actually when, when, when trying to decide the layout of GB84, where, you know, the... And to me, the most important parts of the book, and the book that naturally now I'm, I'm proud, the, the only books, I'm, the only part of the book I'm really that proud of, to any extent, are the, are the, are the, are the parts in columns, which were based on, there's, they alternate between two characters, Martin and Peter, and they're based on really six people that I interviewed who were on strike for the whole time. And, and a lot of it is, you know, that Orgreave account is basically two people's accounts put together. And so... I wanted to really separate those two bits from the, the kind of my kind of fictional, very fictional take on, on the kind of hidden history of the strike. And I decided then, I, because I think these are the truth and the gospel truth, that was why I put Martin at the top and then had him in two columns with a kind of biblical, to give it a biblical feel. That was, that's the only time I've consciously ever like, look, look, looked directly to the Bible for inspiration. But I think... Um, but I, you know, I am, you know, I, I, I grew up in a very religious house and, and you know, I mean, I, you know, I, I do still go to church and so I suppose I'm very conscious of, the, of, of, of those kind of rituals and, and routines in my own life. So, so I think it just plays in kind of, but, but on a more subconscious, not on a very conscious level now. Thank you. Well, that's it, I'm afraid. I know that you probably all have got a lot of other questions that you want to ask, David, but you'd be only too delighted to answer them. He's going to go now to the signing tent and uh, hope that you, in, um, that you join us and follow us there. But uh, in the meanwhile, all that remains for me to do is to thank on your behalf, David Peace. And you. Yes. Thank you. More podcasts and videos of Edinburgh International Book Festival events are available at www.edbookfest.co.uk on iTunes and YouTube. Just search for Edbookfest.